Hello everyone, we are Anna Visilova and Devin Perizov, students at Carleton University, and we would like to talk about Monotown's development in the Russian Federation, which is one of the complicated topics in urban and economic development in post-Soviet Russia. To make this discussion more interesting and compelling, we investigated two Monotowns in different parts of Russia, one of each has their own way of development. These are Magnitogorsk in the Ural part of Russia and Gukova in the south. Let's start with a brief overview of what Monotown is and what is the current situation. Monotowns are urban settlements with economic bases that are dominated by a single industry or a core enterprise. Soviet planners created the Monotowns by designating rational enterprise locations which they thought contrast to the chaotic and wasteful patterns of capitalist economies. The main principle was that of the spatial division of labor, which meant achieving maximum regional specialization in certain types of production. Action. The underlying logic was a mix of military, strategic, political, bureaucratic, and economic rationales. There is no agreement on exactly what constitutes a monotown or, or how many monotowns there are. There are monotowns in all regions ranging from small urban settlements to major urban centers. According to the official list, which was approved by the government of the Russian Federation, in 2021 there are 321 monotowns in 64 regions, accounting for 9% of the country's population and 40% of GDP. However, some experts classified 467 cities and 332 smaller towns as monotowns, which have about 900 core enterprises. Nearly two-thirds of the enterprises are in manufacturing, including automotive industry, heavy machinery, or else resource processing such as fuels, metallurgy, food processing, or timber and pulp industries. The Soviet system was based toward large enterprises. Prices were centrally controlled and the prices of labor and resource inputs were set artificially low, encouraging the overuse in large-scale projects. Moreover, within the bureaucratic system, bigger facilities gave local and departmental officials more resources and leverage so that bureaucratic competition for resources encouraged each ministry in each region to impress others with more and larger industrial development plans. Soviet industrial enterprises provided social services such as subsidized housing, canteens, shops, hospitals, and recreation facilities for employees, their families, and other residents. Large enterprises were usually able to get more resources and the services were often better than those in an average municipality. Large enterprises also built roads and other transportation facilities and provided heat and electricity. When the Soviet Union fell, in 1991, the economic system collapsed with dire consequences for the monotowns. Most of the core enterprises were privatized in the 1990s, ending up in the hands of large Russian industrial conglomerates that sought to free themselves of social service obligations. In uncompetitive industries, many enterprises survived into 2011, bringing further decline to the towns. Others managed to thrive, primarily those resource-based activities that found expert markets fuel, metallurgy, chemicals, forestry, and paper products. The government tried to devolve the social services to municipalities, which in the 1990s didn't have the resources to finance them. Often the municipalities either closed the social facilities or postponed their transfer. A few firms continued to fund social facilities after they were transferred to a municipality. The Montown debate 
has focused on how government policy can remedy obsolete physical capital, restore crumbling infrastructure and aid immobile populations. But these deficiencies are the symptoms, not the causes of the monotowns problems. The causes lie in the system of Soviet planning that result in many monotowns today producing the wrong products in the wrong places with resultant misallocations of capital and labor. One of the examples of Russian initiatives was that the Intergovernmental Committee on Monotowns invited towns to submit comprehensive plans with specific measures to tackle economic and social problems and a medium-term roadmap for diversification leading to sustainable long-term growth. Let's talk about our examples. Gukova is a middle-sized town in Rostov region in the south of Russia on the border with Ukraine. The date of its foundation is considered to be the 1st December 1878 when the traffic on the Donetsk railway was was opened and the Kovalova station began to operate. In 1904, the station was named Gukova after a Cossack officer who owned these lands. The discovery and development of coal deposits and the opening of mines gave the impetus to the development of the settlement. The first of them, Andratsit, was laid in 1910 and worked until 1998. In the 1930s, several more mines were built, which merged in February 1939 into the Gukov Ugal, trust of the Rostov Ugal Combine. Relatively comfortable residential buildings, schools and clubs began to appear in the villages and the first mechanized bakery was built. Gradually the villages grew and began to merge into a city with a new center built on an empty place. On June 13, 1955, the village Gukova received the status of a city. At the same time, the Gukovshakstroy trust was established and active construction of industrial facilities, housing and cultural institutions began. A large palace of culture is being built in the city. Construction technical school and a vocational school were opened. New mines were growing, including the Obuchovskaya Zapadnaya mine, the largest in the region. In 1970, on the basis of the trust Gukov Ugal, an independent plant of the same name was formed, which also absorbed the mining enterprise of neighboring city of Donetsk. Thus, the city was formed around the opening of mines and almost all the time of its existence, the main area of employment of residents was associated with the coal mining industry. In the Soviet times, many people came to work in the city and stayed here to live, attracted by the higher level of wages of miners. The monotown I chose to study, Magnitogorsk, had a very similar situation to Anna's. It was also a mining town built around the metals found in its surrounding hills and later on steel refining. It also had a similar situation in that the city initially grew quite organically, then was later more planned out after it grew to a certain point. The first residents lived in ad hoc barracks and huts, and an anecdote I found said that they would later be regarded as respected idealists and pioneers at the center of the Soviet experiment. One thing that's interesting interesting is that Anna brought up infrastructure a little bit, which was what a lot of the information on Magnitogorsk talked about in regard to its tram system. Trams were operated by the steelworks company 
itself until the 1990s. Originally, when the city was first being built, it was very utilitarian, not overly comfortable, just really meant to bring people from their houses to the mines. It was also sort of haphazardly built around the pre-existing settlements and left some of the further ones out. Leading up to the war, they started making some improvements. More trams, better safety, they even had planned a big glass pavilion with payphones and newspapers and stuff like that. After the war, they discovered that the east side of the Ural River, where the settlements were currently, wasn't fit for housing due to a lack of space and because pollution from the mines had accumulated on that side. They decided to completely remake the city on the west side, this time being more planned out. The new city was planned by a well-known architect from Leningrad, who had actually died during the war, but the plan was still carried out. One source said that Magnitogorsk was planned as a model socialist city or, quote, a calling card of communism. The new city was designed entirely around the tram system. This time, the tracks were laid first and the city was built around them. There were also three main avenues named after Lenin, Stalin, and Stalingrad, although apparently these were later named to not include Stalin and instead Marx and Soviet. The planned side and unplanned side are actually still clearly visible on a modern map, which I find pretty interesting. Another paper I read talked a lot about the social impact of the tram system. Trams were the only space you went to every day, and so they became a sort of communicative space for the people living there. Tram functionality was also highly integrated with the steel industry. The plant actually compensated workers for tram tickets and gave out special tickets to people who needed to go in early. The tram was also free for certain people, which originally included children, tram workers, on-duty police, which is kind of funny to imagine on-duty cop needing to take the train, and later deputies of the USSR and people who had been named heroes of the Soviet Union. The socio-economic situation in the mining towns of the Rostov region, including Bukova, began to deteriorate in the 1990s and became catastrophic in the 2000s. It was caused both by the general situation in the country and by the ill-considered actions of new owners of the mines. In 2007, 2020, the population of Gukova decreased by 7% and amounted to 63.8 thousand people in 2020. The decline was due to both natural population decline and migration outflow due to low wages and the lack of jobs in the city. After the closure of the miners, many lost their jobs and began to leave for work in Siberia, Moscow, St. Petersburg, Krasnodar, Rostov-on-Don, Sochi. Some were forced to retrain in professional professions related to the construction industry. Currently, some of the miners who lost their jobs in the city began to go to work in the mines of neighboring cities such as Novoshaktinsk and Zvereva in Rostov region. Despite the fact that most of the working age population goes to work in other cities, the population structure in Gukova is dominated by the share of people of working age, young students and women with the children whose husbands work in shifts. Residents cite the presence of family ties, concern for the fate of the city and attraction to the local nature and climate as the reasons for returning to their hometown. It should be noted that the crisis phenomena were aggravated by the bankruptcy of Kukova Enterprises. In 2012, Bastochna mine went bankrupt, as a result of which the mine was de-energized and flooded. After the closure of the mines, the Gukova miners had huge wage debts. According to experts, Gukova was recognized as the most protesting city in the southern federal district in 2016 
2017. In Gukova, in 2016, 46% of demonstrators took part in protest actions, an average of 18,000 people of the total number of protesters in their district. In 2017, the share was 32% or 12,000 people. It is also noted that due to the closure of the miners, the standard of living of the population has decreased. Despite the presence of six institutions of secondary vocational education and one institution of higher education, young people often go to major cities such as Rostov-on-Don, Moscow, St. Petersburg to get higher education. Most of those who left do not return to the hometown because they consider the standard of living and wages in Gukova are low. The current population of the city is mainly employed in the social sphere, trade and agriculture. Actually, in 2014, the government of the Russian Federation has defined new criteria for classifying Russian municipalities as single industry towns or monotowns. All single industry cities were divided into three categories according to the socio-economic status. The first, single industry towns with the most difficult socio-economic situation. Second, single industry towns where there are risks of deterioration of the socio-economic situation. And third, single industry towns with a stable socio-economic situation. In 2015, out of 319 single industry towns in Russia, 94 were classified as the most critical, including the city districts of Gukovars in Rostov. In 2016, owing uh, to the activeness of the regional authorities, by the decree of the government of the Russian Federation in Gukova, the territory of advanced socio-economic development was created, so-called Gukova Toser. Toser established as a special uh, legal regime for the implementation of entrepreneurial and other activities in order to create favorable conditions for attracting investment, which are not related to the city-forming enterprises, and ensuring accelerated socio-economic development and creating comfortable conditions for ensuring the life of the population. Toser is created for 10 years and it can be prolonged for five years more. Toser residents have special requirements in order to be, to be able to receive the preferences. After registration of the enterprise, the Toser residents receive federal and regional preferences, which include zero income taxes and infrastructural support. The Gukova Toser was established with the aim of reducing the unemployment rate, creating additional jobs, attracting investments that are now related to the city-forming enterprise, as well as creating a comfortable urban environment for the residents of the city. The creation of Gukova Toser is considered as the most significant event of recent times and is assessed as a sudden victory of the city, which should give a new impetus to its development, bring investment in the economy of the municipality, and provide residents with jobs. Nowadays, nine residents are already operating at the Gukova Tosser in the industries such as mechanical engineering, production of reinforced concrete structures, clothing production, production of sunflower oil, and carbon-containing materials production. These smaller towns are an accurate example of the raised by many of Russia's industrial regions, or what famous Russian scientist in economic geography Natalia Zubarevich has called the second Russia in contrast to Moscow and St. Petersburg. It's kind of funny that we chose the towns we did because, as I learned in my research, Magnitogorsk had almost the exact opposite experience, which is kind of funny because we didn't plan it out that way and I knew personally nothing about Magnitogorsk before I chose it. It's actually a category three, which is for the most economically stable monotowns. 
Although the metal in the mountain it was built around is actually mined out by now, the steel factory is still there and it's still thriving. 80% of the city's production continues to be steel. So why did Magnitogorsk do so much better after 2008? During the crash, it repositioned its sales toward the internal Russian market rather than internationally. It invested heavily in technology, including having a high-quality Steel Mill 5000, actual name, which is the only one of its kind in Russia. This despite 2008 happening during its construction, in which the company decided to continue work on it despite the costs. As an aside, an article that I read mentioned that Putin himself apparently opened the mill. In addition, the company had a policy of quote, cut hours, not jobs, during the crisis. While this did result in a big reduction in standard of living, they managed to avoid any major protests or population decline, as was seen in other cities. The company also continued to invest a lot into the city itself, revamping roads and apparently building a pretty nice water park. I personally consulted Google and can confirm that they have a pretty sick-looking slide. There are still some serious issues, however. Economically, there are potential concerns over construction companies moving away from steel in favor of synthetic metals. To combat this, the municipal government reportedly wants to lure foreign investment into pharmaceutical production, a strategy they call mills to pills. While the situation has improved, there are also still big environmental concerns, and there seems to be a widespread belief among locals that even though the company has installed a variety of filters on their factory chimneys and has upgraded factories past the less efficient Soviet era ones that they continue to turn off the filters on the evenings and weekends and for this reason many of the locals choose to leave the city on the weekend. Finally, cancer is apparently a very big health issue in the city, probably in part due to the pollution. The monotones are interesting in themselves but particularly in that many represent in sharp form the challenges Russia faces in coming to terms with its depressed industrial regions and populations. The main questions here are the following. Are Russia's monotones a time bomb? Do subsidies to the monotones and other inefficient enterprises help prevent social unrest? If so, what impact would an extended economic downtown have?